Welcome to episode 206 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, welcome everyone to our penultimate episode of our DC rewatch podcast. Yeah, I feel weird. How are you I, feeling, Chris? I do as well. It's been very interesting, like watching these episodes of JLU, knowing that it's it's building towards a finale in the show and in the universe, and then it's building towards a finale for us as well. And it's like these multi-tiered levels of emotion, and I find myself being like very emotional watching episodes that aren't actually that emotional. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I I shouldn't have been like tense watching ancient history. Yeah, but I was. I absolutely was. Yeah, it, the whole thing is just kind of, um, kind of intense. But yeah, it's this is it. This is the home stretch. It's just the two of us now. It's been lovely having guests, but we're back to just you and I. So I know, unfortunately, I know. But <laughs> to our mutual we chagrin, had, we we shouldn't have had our two best guests. Not that our other guests weren't great, but like the most knowledgeable guests we've had on exactly in the past two yeah. weeks. <laughs> that really, really showed us, like, fuck, what have we been doing for the past 206 episodes? Uh, yep, they set the bar very high, and at the point now where we could really use some expert perspective as things come to an end, it's just us once again. Yeah, I have I have a few big questions, especially around ancient history. I would love oh, no. someone's insight on. Okay. I will, it's I will not do, us. I will do my best to try and help. Okay. But yes, as mentioned, we're covering uh, ancient history and alive so basically, um, kind of like the last standalone episode, and then the what I think you could more or less say is like the first half of a more or less two-parter of the finale, and then we'll yeah. hit uh, Destroyer next week as the actual finale itself. Um, but yeah, uh, shall we go ahead and, and dive on in here? Let's jump on into it. All right, so starting off with a... Oh, I didn't write synopses. Shit. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> it well, wouldn't be episode 206 <laughs> if you wrote synopses. <laughs> I will just wing it. So uh, in ancient history, we see the return of Carter Hall, a.k.a. Uh, Hawkman, who is there to kind of like search it up a little bit. And then the shadow thief makes a return uh, and kidnaps John and reveals the ancient history of Shaira Hall, Katar Hall, and Vishari, a former incarnation, possibly, of John Stewart, and we, we we learn the shocking truth of who the Shadow Thief is and his ultimate plan to um, kill someone. Yeah, uh, it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's as comic booky as it could get. I'll say the, it that way. There, there are some. You're kind of right, but there are some things kind of like about it. But let let us start off with the best cameo in this whole thing, which is of course Gentleman Ghost. Always, always such a treat seeing Gentleman Ghost. <laughs> I I just rewatched uh, Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, and the the Gentleman Ghost version in that is just so so damn funny that I think my my memory of that just seeps into any time I see him elsewhere. My my first episode of Brave and the Bold, and it was one of those oh, moments where yeah. I like it was every time I turned it on, it was the same episode playing. Of course, yeah. Uh, and it's the one, I think it's the one where Batman and Green Arrow get flung back in time to fight, Medu- uh, not Medusa, um, Morgana. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but it opens with them fighting Gentleman, or Batman fighting Gentleman Ghost with Etrig- with um, uh, Boston Brand. That's right, yeah. And he, yeah, he's just so, like, the banter between Gentleman Ghost and Brave and the Bold Batman is so good. 
He's he's such a funny character, and uh, apparently his inclusion here was very deliberate because he's actually connected to Hawkman and Hawkgirl. I don't know if you looked this up at all, but I actually looked, looked up something. Look at you. I know. Someone's pulling weight in this week. <laughs> Trying to really show off at the end here. Uh, yeah, but I guess the um, his appearance here is probably a, a nod to his origin because he was a highway robber who was hanged um, by the 19th century incarnations of Hawkman and Hawkgirl in the comics. But cast a spell so as to not pass on until his killers were dead, which kind of worked to his benefit because Hawkman and Hawkgirl have been constantly reincarnated for thousands of years. Uh, so he's just chilling at this point now. That's a cool origin. That actually is a pretty cool origin, right? Like, I'm kind of surprised that I'm only now learning this about him. That should yeah, have that that popped a, up like, somewhere. That's such a unique curse. Yeah. It's kind of brilliant. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a like a more strategic Grundy. Oh, okay, yeah. Because well, I guess he chose to do it himself rather than just being resurrected by some crazy person somewhere. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's fun to see him pop up. He's he's battling it out with GL, and then it's ultimately saved, or GL is saved by Hawkman, who's trying trying so hard to be friends. And John's just like, thanks for the help. Let's leave it at that. I know. There, between both of these episodes, it's really interesting to see these like love triangles and uh, pentagons <laughs> play out between like Shaira and um, Vixen are obviously friends now, mm-hmm. and John can't be friends with Carter. But then also in the next episode, you have like that very uncomfortable love shape between Grodd and Lex and Brainiac and Tala. Oh, yeah, because that's like, that's Lex, Brainiac, Grodd, Tala, and then I think we can throw in Giganta. Yeah, 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 Giganta. (laughs) And like seeing these three friendships that are all kind of competitive friendships play out. Mm -hmm. It's so, some of them are very uncomfortable. Anything around Tala, I am like physically uncomfortable with right now. Yes. But we'll uh, get to it. we'll, We'll get to that. I will at least say here the like, they they make an effort to have some fun banter between Shaira and and Vixen in particular when they're they're working yeah, that, out the that gym. Yeah, that one has that one is fleshed out. Yeah, that that one works, and I can understand why John just like John Stewart being John Stewart just like Nah, man, I'm not gonna be friends with you because like the thing is Carter is still kind of a weird guy. Like there is still a lot of this mystery around him. Like. Why does he know all this stuff? Yeah, he he touched the um the absorbicron, so he got all these like memories. But yeah, how did he create those wings, which we talked about at length last time? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's at the end of the day, he's human. Yeah, he's a human that has more nth metal tech than Shaira does, and yeah. is like kind of obsessed with her in a very uncomfortable way. And everyone keeps referring to him as Shaira's stalker boyfriend. And she was like, "He's not my boyfriend." Mm-hmm. But also, I mean. Man's very good looking. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> like, I mean, he is Indiana Jones. Yeah, he's he's just Indiana Jones. I mean, would I be super upset if he were stalking me? If he were flying around in weird hawk wings, that part might put me off a little bit, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. In so. just the X. <laughs> oh, that can stay. That can stay. Okay. That can stay. As I was watching this, I was thinking that I really hope that they have a comic accurate costume for Hawkman in Black Adam. Oh yeah. Oh, they there's gotta be a nod to it at least. I, I certainly hope so, considering that he's played by Aldous Hodge, who is in 
absolutely incredible shape and would, i would love to see him in a comic accurate hawkman well i assume he's probably just going to be shirtless because that's easier that's but fine at some point they're going to go through like a carnival scene just like in shazam and it's going to be like a prize are going to be these suspenders <laughs> that he wears as a, a like he wears them across each other like no one no, else but someone's going to look at it and it's going to be like they're going to make a joke about it they probably will. It'll probably be some stupid ass thing like that. Or like, what's some bullshit DC would do? They're gonna go to like, they're gonna go to a strip club because DC <laughs> would do that. Also, do you see the news that there's gonna be nudity in Batman? I did. Fully I unrelated. Did. I did see that. I I I were if I were to suspect anything, it's probably gonna be like a murder victim, like one of the Riddler's murder mm. victims. I don't think we're gonna see any bat dong. You're not. You're not excited for bat dick. I, I'm always excited for Bat Dick, obviously. I just don't think that's what we're going to see here. Plus, like, it's still PG-13. Like, you can't really... Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah okay. like, it, it might be... We might get, like, some butt somewhere, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I could see them doing, like, a nod to seven. Yeah, exactly. So we might we might get maybe, like, maybe like a little bit of Selena butt or maybe some Bruce butt. Or it's probably... Yeah, it's probably just going to be, like, a dead body somewhere. Mm-hmm. So... In somewhere in that three-hour runtime, yeah, maybe the entirety of the three-hour runtime. Maybe, oh maybe just like the bat cheeks are just like just, just can't contain them. <laughs> just present all the time. Look, I, I am still. This, the suit is so skin tight. It got <laughs> the Norwegian what A fifteen rating. Exactly. Yeah, they they had to basically count it because the the pants are so tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'm still excited for that movie in a lot of ways there's a lot of ideas in there that are, i think are really interesting i did go and buy myself the the lego version of the new batmobile which i have to admit is a pretty cool design there's lots of stuff i'm excited about but then there's every there's always some other piece from like oh god especially the three-hour runtime i was like i don't need that mm-hmm. i don't i really don't i know it's it's interesting because i feel like the roles have been fully reversed for this movie because I'm not excited for Batman. Yeah, you're not excited about it at and all. And I, I don't like not being... I want to be excited. I mean, I, I am I am excited. At the end of the day, I am excited. I'm looking forward to it. You know, but uh, three hours. Mm-hmm. Three hours, my God. Yeah, but anyways... So what, were, what were we talking about before? Yeah. So anyways, so we're also a little bit skeptical of uh, Hawkman. And then Shaira and Mari are like chatting in the gym. And she makes a comment about how she's going to be off in Milan for a week doing a photo shoot. And, uh, you know, if Shaira is going to make her move, now would be the time to do it. And Shaira has this great comment, like, why is it always about the guys? And Mari's like, well, it is always about the guys. And just speaking from personal experience, I can agree with that. But it <laughs> does seem maybe like a little overly simplistic uh, in this universe. But I, I do have to say that I like their their dynamic. Like even Shaira's whole thing of like, you know, I miss Thanagar on there. I, you know, would just poison you. It would be really, really simple. Right. And I mean, it is like that is we don't know if they have any other common interests. So right now, like from an audience perspective, their only thing in common is John and that they're both superheroes. Yeah. John superheroes that they survived a a cat fighting ring together. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. They survived a a random moon together against Thanagarians. Mm -hmm. I, I do like that the series keeps finding ways to put them in a space together. You can tell that they... It's it's almost like they begrudgingly are competitive. Like I think that without John in the picture, they would be really good colleagues and and probably good friends. But with John around, that's just not as possible. Yeah, I I kind I mean it, I don't think it'd be truly fair because like Thanagarian strength is is better than human strength. But I would have loved yeah. to see like 
uh, you know, like both of them working out the same, you know, like both of them on the treadmill together and, you know, Hawk, uh, Shiro like going a little bit faster than Vixen and then Vixen oh, okay. going a little bit faster. And then I cur activating like Jaguar and turning it up to like 30 <laughs> miles an hour <laughs> and Shiro just flying over the treadmill. Just constantly kind of competing back and forth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because like they have the personalities where like even if John wasn't in the picture, I think they would still be competitive with each other. I think so. Just as like a natural yeah. base of friendship. Yeah. Well, plus that Shiro just is a competitive person. Yeah, yeah, they both are. Yeah, and she'll fuck with everyone left and right. And guy, do we love her for it? Mm-hmm. So, but they're working out together, and you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of repartee, and then John shows up, and of course, Mari Vixen assumes that he's there for her. Is like, nope, he actually needs to talk to Shira because he's still worried about John. Not sorry, not John. Um, about Carter. Carter. I was getting Carter. John. I was John Carter started to float in my mind because there's too many Johns <laughs> and too many Carters, and that's not this. <laughs> So he's still worried about Carter, um, and Shira's like, it's just not a big deal, let it go. And then as the next day, as Vixen's leaving to go on her photo shoot, uh, the Shadow Thief shows up and go ahead and like fights the two of them and ends up taking John prisoner, which is a new development. Cause up to this point, John's kind of just been like a pest to him, sort of in the background. And here, all of a sudden, for some reason, now he's the target, and we're not quite sure why. So then this leads them all to the museum where Carter works and there uh, poor, poor Vixen has a real tough time this episode with things falling on her because she's basically taken out for most of the episode by a giant T-Rex skeleton falling on her, which to be fair would be pretty serious. But that sequence is like, is, well, Kim DeSantos did the art direction for this episode. Yeah. And that was probably one of the coolest bits of animation I've seen in all of the Timverse is when she gets punched through the T-Rex's mouth and you see it from like a straight on perspective of her falling through the rib cage yeah. and then hitting the back of the, the T-Rex. Like she got, she was eaten by the T-Rex basically. basically. Yeah. Like that it, was so cool to see. It, no, it, it is a good shot. I think my issue was in the, the previous fight sequence in John's apartment, between the two of them, between John and Vixen and Shadow Thief, is that like I get that Shadow Thief has a bit of an extra advantage in that he is like semi intangible mm-hmm. a little bit here, but he's going up against two very competent, very veteran Justice League members. I mean, one is literally a founding member and one of the most powerful people on the planet in the form of John, and then Vixen too, with her power set of being the pulling animal, is very very challenging to go up in a fight against and he really gets the best of them pretty quickly and it it was the fact that twice in this episode mari is taken out by things falling on her first a bookcase and then a a, a t-rex and it it felt kind of like the writers having to find a way to take out superman or take out um jean martian manhunter in previous seasons like okay this character is way too powerful we have to come up with a reason why they're taken out i just i had a hard time believing that mari would actually be taken out by a bookcase falling on her yeah, that one, that one more for sure. Yeah. The T-Rex I understood because she got like punched into it. Yeah, she got, I guess like punched through it and kind of like raked along the inside of the, uh, the, like the bones to your point, And then the whole thing fell on her. Yeah. So I may, maybe I just also kind of wanted her to like get a hero moment of being the one to kind of save the day. But really once she's taken out, she's uh, out of count for the whole rest of the episode. And I get it. It's not her episode. But I feel like she's always just done a little bit dirty in this universe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she, I mean, because this was this was the moment we got to see John as the damsel in distress. Yeah, which we've like we've never seen 
I don't think we've ever seen any of the guys be the damsel in distress. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on the circumstances. Like, if is you there go, a male word for damsel? Uh, gentleman? I don't know. <laughs> I get no. There's got to be. You, you keep talking. I'm gonna Google. I, I was gonna say like if you think back to way early on in um the run of Justice League, was it in? Brightest Day or War World? Maybe it was War World. I forget which episode, but like, you know, in Brightest Day, um, the episode with the the Manhunters, the robots, like in that, John is basically held prisoner the entire time. So he's not like, you know, the the classic damsel in distress, you know, rope tied to a train track sort of thing. But he's been a prisoner before. But I would agree with you that here he's kind of the one in peril and it's up to other people to save him. Yeah. A bachelor would be the word. Oh, really? A bachelor? I feel like a bachelor in distress sounds like something very different. Yeah, yeah, very much. the The origin of bachelor was um, you were you're considered a bachelor if you were a knight in training or a young unmarried man. Okay, was was the origin of way back in the day. Okay. Well, that's us, Cameron. Just you know, knights in training. Yeah, just two bachelors over Per here. Perpetual knights in training. Um, but yeah, so at this point now. Shadow Thief has taken John prisoner. He's able to capture Shaira when she comes to help. She's, he's able to capture Carter. So now all three of them are basically captured by Shadow Thief. He makes all of them touch the Absorbicron. And then we get this extended flashback sequence of ancient Egypt. So it, it kind of expands on the story we already got of two Thanagarians stranded on Earth in times of ancient Egypt, Carter and Shaira Hall, or Katar and Shaira Hall, excuse me. And so here, like, Katar has basically conquered all of Egypt and wants to conquer the rest of the world. Shira wants a kid. He's basically not giving her enough attention, so she starts having an affair with Vashari, who is voiced by Phil Lamar in the same tone that he uses for Jon Stewart. And basically, it's implied that that is a, an older incarnation of Jon that has been reincarnated now as Jon Stewart. So basically, this love triangle extends way, way back, like 8,000 years ago mm -hmm. um it the one the one kind of fun thing i will give them is when they're doing the f the flashback is that the the kind of like first romantic moment between vishari and shira is visually meant to mirror the exact same moment that happens at the end of wild cards which is a cool little throwback they throw in yeah there. that was very fun i liked that i liked that uh we have a an aide to keita hall in the form of Hothset who is voiced by Hector Elizondo, who voiced Krager in Starcrossed. So it's like, you're, you're kind of bringing things back here. Like, okay, like that character is also being reincarnated. Um, and of course, things go awry. Katar, you know, realizes that the, this affair is happening. He wishes them dead. Hotset, being the creepy little weasel that he is, kills them. And Katar is like, no, you killed them. And then he drinks the poison too and also dies. Yes, very Shakespearean. Very, very Shakespearean. I, I will say, I will say, I do love, there is a shot, and it's after Ketar has discovered Vishari and Shair are having an affair, and after Hothset has heard him say that he wants them dead, and Ketar walks into like the bedchamber, and the first thing we see is a pool of red liquid on the ground, and then the camera pans up when you see it's wine, and I thought that was a very clever way for them to basically put in blood and then get away with it. Yes, I agree. That was, it was very well, it was very good cinematography. 
Because when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, like, there's a pool of blood? Like, this is such a bloodless show. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I also no. thought they got stabbed. Yeah. Which would have been, of course, very Shakespearean. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of a fun little thing. But I, I, now I hear, this is where I suspect you you maybe didn't like it so much. So then we jump back to the present day, and everyone <laughs> suspects that the Shadow Thief is the reincarnation of Hothset, especially because the, the voice does kind of character sa- model. Yeah, it does kind of sound like Hector Elizondo, but it is not. It is in fact the uh, like the like the evil malevolent like desire. Yeah, the deepest desires of Carter Hall made Incarnate. like sentient and corporeal be when he touched the Absorbicron base. Like his shadow got pushed out of him and became this this object that would see to his any whim. So like he wanted. Uh, Thanagarian technology, the Shadow Thief tracked it down for him. And I thought this was really interesting. Uh, you know, Hawkman wanted a villain, and so that's what Shadow Thief became. And now he wants Sheer, and he's brought him, brought her to him. Now, I suspect you did not like this. I did not. But it's a red herring, Cameron. We love I us know a, red it's herring. a red herring. And it's I a good it's red, red herring. herring. It's a very well-disguised red herring. Yeah, but uh, I know. I agree. It is not a character named Red Herring, which is why I don't enjoy it. (laughs) I can't be, like, super hateful towards this because I think... I'm sure the origins of this story go back much further than this, but quick spoiler alert for one of my favorite books, Mm -hmm. uh, Wizard of Earthsea. This is the premise of that book as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Where it is basically Harry Potter goes to a magic school... And he's so powerful that he has to show off to his friends. So he tries to kind of reincarnate someone. But instead, he fills that body with his, like, evils and his desires. Mm. And basically his power. And so it's him spending the rest of the book, um, uh, Sparrowhawk spending the rest of the book, kind of traversing the world, trying to figure out what he created and how he can stop it. And then at the end, you find out that, it, that it, it's him. He, he, he just created himself. And so it's him having to confront his evils. Okay, interesting. So, so you saw something else like this recently, which maybe kind of made it less of a, a, a twist. Yeah, but I mean, recently, the book came out in 1964. Or right, but like you that. just yeah, read yeah. it recently. Right, yeah, yeah. But okay, but did you, did you watch this when it aired back in, back in the day? Uh, I don't remember this episode. Okay, because I, I, I watched all of these. I don't... I remember there being more to the the dynamic, the the Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Vixen, Green Lantern, Shadow Thief, that Pentagon of Chaos. I remember more of that than was present in um, the last episode we had on this, whatever that one was called. So I knew there was more, but uh, I remember the Shadow details. of the Hawk. Shadow of the Hawk, thank you. So I remember there was more, but I didn't remember the details. I'd forgotten that Shadow Thief was... Carter Hall. So like that was kind of like a nice little surprise. And I guess maybe because I hadn't seen or read something about that recently, it did kind of work for me. Like I, I was generally like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of a cool, a cool twist on the whole thing. Um, and it did, I get what you mean. It does feel a little bit convenient. It feels very comic booky, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever you want to call it. Like it feels like a bit of a cliche. Um, but I guess the nice thing it does though, is it makes it a more personal story. It, and it gives Hawkman, like, the redemption at the end. Yeah. Because after we, it is revealed that it is his kind of dark desires incarnate, uh, he tells Carter, like, hey, the only thing standing between you and what you want, which I brought you, is Jon Stewart. Yeah. So just go and kill him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, uh, Carter absorbs the shadow back into himself. Uh, and then nothing changes. Nothing changes. Yeah. There is. I think that was it. I think it's the fact that nothing changed after he absorbed him. And I I do agree with you. Like this was kind of meant to be the finale for the story between John and Shira, but obviously it's getting more complicated with all these other characters that have been involved. So I think the ultimate button on this episode really works, but I do agree with you that the nothing really changes with Hawkman. Like there is no real consequence. He observes a shadow thief and then everyone's like, okay, cool. It's been fun. See y'all later. Yeah. He kind of like apologize. He's like, Hey, my bad for being a creepy stalker. Uh, if something happens, cool. If not, whatever. See yeah. ya. See you around. And then, and then flies off. And so like, I agree with you that the Hawkman stuff specifically doesn't really have a satisfying ending. But I will say that then once they go back to Metro Tower and, and Vixen is recovering and John talks with Shira and he finally reveals the truth. So, I mean, we've been talking about a lot, like, will he ever do this? And I forgot that he did. Paradoxical ethics. Yes. It's, I mean, it is really interesting. Like, he, you know, he says, I haven't been fair to her. I haven't been fair to you. I haven't been honest with you. Like, I, you know, Batman and I went to the future and I m- met the man who will, could be our son but I won't let fate dictate my life. I'm going to stay with Mari, um, which good on him for finally doing it, for finally saying that. I mean, also a really hard thing. I'm sure for Cher to hear, which is like, yeah, she's in love with this guy. He's not getting back together with her. He's going to continue to stay with his you know, current girlfriend. And that might mean that a son that they have in a timeline could possibly not end up existing. Um, and, and, you know, I think for me that, that moment when she goes to Batman and just sits down and says, tell me about my son, that actually, that was the moment that really got me that I thought that was just like such a touching, heartbreaking moment that she has there. Yeah. And that's also, it's the first time we've seen Batman in a while. Yeah. Right. It was it was a nice breath of fresh air to see him again. Right. Where have you been? Oh, right. Yeah, hiding just off sit, in a room. sitting at the computer the whole time. Yes. Um, yeah, because like that's such a hard conversation. And yeah. like I was reading someone else talk about this episode and how like they're trying to allude that after seeing her past self, that now present Shair is now like baby crazy. And like I didn't see that at all. I don't see that at all. I don't know where they were coming from with that perspective. No. Maybe there was like a comic that was coming out around the same time that they were talking about. I yeah, don't I don't know. Because even the idea of her like being baby crazy in the past felt a little shoehorned. Yeah. Yeah. They just needed something to like show that that Carter, that uh, Katar is not being affectionate, basically. Yeah, it, it was a shorthand to raise the personal stakes for her relationship with Katar in the past. And I was like, okay, fine. But I don't. I don't buy that. I guess I don't buy it because that's not what I feel like Shayera now would do, but they are different people at the end of the day, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the button at this episode was, was fantastic. Like it it is what we've been talking about for, for weeks now is like, Mm -hmm. how do you have that conversation? Uh, Do you have that conversation? And, you know, like, yeah. And, and I think one aspect of this episode is, you know, fate is a big part of this storyline. Mm-hmm. What is your own choice versus what is predestined for you? Um, and I think one of the reasons I don't, I, I, I want to talk to you about this 
because I don't I don't know exactly how I feel about it yet. When it's just Carter talking about all the past stuff and, and mm-hmm. Shadow of the Hawk, Hawk Girl refuses to like believe any of it. Is like, oh, you know, that's all nonsense. It's just in the past. Yeah. But then once John gets wrapped into it, then suddenly it's like, oh, you know, maybe this is real. Like, I don't really like, like I, she has more. Fa- I feel like she has more faith in it after seeing that John was attached to the story. Now I'm trying to remember. Does she touch the Absorbicron in Shadow of the Hawk? She does. Okay, so she already had a, so she already has absorbed some of this past knowledge. Yes, but but she basically said like, oh, it's it wasn't actually us. It was you know the Omicron is like the holder of all Themyscarian knowledge. The Absorbicron. Kind of like what what is it called? The Absorbicron. What did I call it? The Omicron. Oh, that's what I have written in my notes. <laughs> Still relevant. The Absorbicron. So. Um, I think it's supposed to be like a Themyscarian library, basically. And like, if you don't yeah. know how to shift through the knowledge, then you just kind of get bombarded with it, and it, it kind of like fries your brain. Yeah, that's what she tells him. Is that like, yeah, you, you, you touch this thing. You're human. The touch Thanagarian technology that works based off of like a, a telepathic connection it's beyond your human brain's ability to comprehend it and has fried your head and now you think this is all true yeah um yeah and i guess i i do see what you mean like why does she now all of a sudden take this a little bit more seriously and maybe it has to do with the fact that it was very disconnected from her life when she saw when it was all the first time around it was just like her and this you know this guy this guy that she's never met you know, and obviously there's the complicated factor around um, Katar Hall, like the, you know, the character we met during um, Starcrossed that, you know, has, has since died and she was in love with and had to betray. So at the time, maybe she just was in a different place emotionally. And so she just really wanted to put all that in her past. And whereas now it's like, well, this is still part of my present. And so mm-hmm. maybe that's part of the reason she kind of connected with it more, more seriously. Um, I do see what you mean. It, it feels like a bit of a shift that all of a sudden now she kind of is more willing to believe the possibility of this than she was before. Yeah, and also, because I, I forgot about uh, the, the thing you said a minute ago, I, I feel like we should have had a part where, like, John now believes this a lot more realistically. Because, like, he experienced it. It should have kind of fried his brain in a similar way. Yeah. But then maybe, you know, like, she can kind of talk him back to where he is, where, where he was beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, have and a moment where he does see Carter and is like, my king, I'm sorry for what I did. You know, like, having that apology moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know how much he buys into it. I guess, if, if anything, he's more concerned about future fate than past fate. That's true. You know, because his big thing now is like literally like, wait, am I supposed to have a child with you? Mm-hmm. Given everything else is going on, and you know, and you're right, this is a lot about fate, and it's like you know, Carter fully believes in it. I think John does, but doesn't want to. He doesn't want to believe that his you know his future has been written for him, and I think Shara is just kind of stuck somewhere in the middle where she's like, yeah, this is probably the case, but. No, like this, I'm sure for hero feels like this is happening to me and I don't have a say in a lot of this. 
Like she didn't have a say in Carter's obsession with her. She doesn't have a say in what John's going to do with Mari going forward. You know, she's obviously theoretically supposed to be a huge part of this because it's her kid in the future, but she just, all these things are kind of happening around her rather than her being a, an active participant, which I'm sure she hates because she is such an active person. She's not mm-hmm. a passive person at all. And she just kind of has to just let things happen, which gotta be fucking awful for her. And, and even the last thing that Carter says to her, you know, it's like, you know, he, he now realizes like they weren't meant for each other, but you know, he, I think he knows how the story is. They both know how the story is supposed to end again, implying like this fate that you are expecting to happen I think it's going to happen, but will it? Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting because canonically in the DCAU, that's where the story ends. Now, I guess, you know, Bruce Tim has said in comments other places, like, yeah, that eventually ends up does happening. They do end up getting together and having a kid. And then I've alluded to this before, um, but there is a story that kind of continues this. And so I'll go ahead and share it here because mostly people won't go and end up reading it. But if you want to read it for yourself, it's Justice League Beyond number seven and eight. They're, I think they're all up on um, DC Infinite at this point. But basically it's, it's this weird universe that's like kind of set in the DCAU, but kind of not. Like it's, it's Batman Beyond. So obviously it's inspired by the DCAU, but there's little differences. So it's like kind of, we'll call it pseudo canon or like theoretical canon. But in okay. this theoretical canon, so a few years in the line, basically John is getting ready to propose to Mari when she's killed by the Shadow Thief. All of a sudden, oh, it's come back around. Yeah, so Shadow Thief's come back around. He kills Mari. Um, as John is trying to hunt down answers, he talks with Adam Strange, who reveals that uh, at some point, Carter Hall was captured and executed to pay for Shadow Thief's crimes. And when that happened, the Shadow Thief was able to escape from Carter's body and basically just do whatever he wants now. So he goes off and takes revenge by killing killing Mari. So then Shira joins John in the hunt to find the Shadow Thief. They find him, and John pulls a gun and shoots him and kills him. Very un-Green Lantern of him. Well, exact, that's exactly it. At that point, the Guardians pull John to Oa, strip him of his ring, and vow that Earth would have no Green Lantern until they found a human who was at peace in mind, body, and soul, which that person eventually ends up becoming Cairo, Cairo like a, yeah. a Buddhist monk. So it kind of makes sense why there was a huge gap there. But, I mean, it's it's a pretty intense story, and basically they they return to... Um, uh, Shayer and John return to Africa to to bury Mari, and they end up staying there, and they eventually end up getting together and have a kid who ends up becoming Warhawk. So there is an answer to that question of how does this story end? Now, whether it's actually considered canonical or not is unclear, um, but given that Warhawk existed in Batman Beyond in that show prior to the Once in Future um, thing story arc, I think we can assume that that is always going to be the eventual outcome is that they'll have a kid together. Got it. Complicated shit. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of fate talk in this. I have, I have two, I have one note and one question. Sure. One, one very big question. Okay. Um, uh, I guess kind of two notes. I really enjoy the, the way they animate Shadow Thief in this. It, mm, yeah. I feel like they do a lot of reference to like how they animated Ink back in Batman Beyond. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, very similar movements, which was very fun to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole sequence, especially of them uh, when it's uh, not Green Lantern and not Shaira riding the horses in ancient Egypt. 
um, it was giving like really vivid flashbacks of Prince of Egypt. Okay, and I yeah. felt like they were doing a really nice callback to that beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. But then connected to that, my question, and I, I genuinely pride myself on my knowledge of, of random mythology and random facts of the past. Okay. Is the, the idea of the queen cheating on the king with the king's best friend, especially in ancient Egypt, I feel like is such a trope we see everywhere. Not everywhere, but I, I feel like we've seen it a couple times. Because isn't that also the premise of the mummy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is there a base origin of that story where that where that comes from? You're asking me about I don't know. Maybe you would mythology. Know. What our time together makes you think that I'm gonna have an answer to that? I I I spent a good hour going through different Egyptian stories and different Egyptian yeah. queens and seeing like is it based off a real queen? I couldn't find any. I'm I'm gonna run with the assumption that has more to do with like. American storytelling than ancient Egyptian storytelling. Cause like, it's not like that is exclusive to Egyptian stuff. I mean, let's be honest. It could even go back to like Shakespeare. I mean, it's not, that's not exactly what happens in, in Hamlet, but it's not hugely far it's off. It's not, not what happens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not entirely far off. I, I think that's just like a part of storytelling for a long, long time. Right. Which, you know, a lot of it just stems from women's possession or men's possession of women in mo- most storytelling. I think that's kind of where it starts and we've just seen it pop up everywhere. You know, cause okay. yes, you're right. It, it is in the mummy where, yeah. Um, Anaxuna moon's like the, the bride of the Pharaoh and she is in love with, um, Imhotep. So yeah, it, it's a thing. It's totally a thing. Okay. So, so what I did find through this research, which is nonsense, which I think is very interesting I, I did find one small reference, but we didn't know about it until 2014. So it obviously couldn't have been what everyone was referencing. Okay. But one of there's like um, in one of the tombs of one. I, I don't remember which queen it is. One of the queens pre um, Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. They found this uh, kind of tablet of hieroglyphs on it. And in the corner, um, there's like another man that kind of pops up across a couple of the hieroglyphs around her. And people are assuming it was it was who she was having an affair with was this oh. other guy who was just kind of always present in her life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that wasn't until until 2014. But then also reading this, I went through like what was the laws around adultery back in ancient Egypt. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and funny enough, they kind of just didn't care. It was kind of just like a slap on the wrist and like shame for like a month. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that there were probably cultures that exist in the past that had no issues with polyamory, and it's just been like our very, very like close-minded, oh yeah, often it's definitely Christian-based our, our, like, yep. perspective. Like, oh no, it has to be like just between two people, monogamy, man and a woman. Done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. and definitely like how we've retold the stories of the Greeks through our Christian perspective. Oh yeah. Is, fuck. I mean, you're reading. Uh, uh, yeah, you Song of Achilles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not Which done with it, but yeah. The gayest book I've ever read, and it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's not the gayest book I've ever read, but it's pretty right. gay. <laughs> but yeah, like even in that, it, you know, everyone, yeah, there's polyamory, multiple marriages, there's all kinds of shit going on. The fact like, that they, in the movie Troy, they rewrote it so Petroclus is his cousin is like makes it so much worse in so many does. ways. It's so, it's so much worse. I know. Just, just let it be. 
Yeah. All right. Achilles was gay. Deal with it. Right. And then, so the other part is like, someone was asking like, what, what did the Egyptians see of like virginity? Or like, was that as sacred as it is in like other religions? Yeah. It's like, fuck no. Like they didn't give a fuck about that. No, it's dumb. Yeah. It's a social construct. <laughs> Let yeah. go people. So, so that was fun to research, but the, I guess, <laughs> uh, you are right. It is. It does seem more like a Shakespearean I, tragedy, having it be the the best friend of the. Yeah, I, I think that's more of like a a, a Western, like Anglo European influence than anything else. I'm, okay. I'm sure the Egyptians were having a grand old time. Probably not as good a time as the Greeks, who were having a great time. Mm-hmm. Greeks really knew how to have fun. They they did. Yeah, a lot of bad shit too. A lot of real bad yeah. shit. This is. A complete nonsense tangent. I learned. Oh, really? We've never had one of those before. <laughs> uh, I, I was just scrolling through YouTube the other day, and I found a video talking about how the Greeks kept time and how, like, absolute bullshit it was, how they counted their years. Because, like, when we talk about the Greeks, obviously, we talk about it in BC, which is before Christ, which is yeah. nonsense to them. They didn't yes. know that. Uh, they kept their calendar based on the Olympiads. So every four years, known as an Olympiad. Yeah because um, that's why the Olympics would happen. But then for e- in Athens specifically, they wouldn't number their... They would have like Olympiad 1.2. So it was the second year of the first Olympiad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they wouldn't number their years. Instead, they had kind of this mathematician slash timekeeper who was in charge of the monthly festivals. So that's how they kept their months. But the year was named after the elected, like, uh, like mathematician planner. Okay. And so it was like year of, you know, uh, Hephaestus. That's not a, you know, that's a Greek god. But that doesn't sure. Count. First one that came to mind. Yes. Um, and that, and so to like know what year you were in, you just had to memorize this long list of people that have come before you. <laughs> I um, mean, it it was nonsense. I'm not entirely surprised. There's a form of logic there. It's just a weird one. Yeah. And then also their months were all 29 days. And they had 13, I think it was, they had 13 months a year. They're all 29 days. And then every four years, how we have leap, we have leap year, they would add another month where we would add our day. Asinine. Yeah. It was fascinating. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely insane. I was like, I don't know how they, I, I understand why they had so many mathematicians just to understand how just anything a, worked. You just had, had full, to know math. A full committee just to answer the question of what day is it? Exactly. <laughs> if it wasn't specifically the Olympics, they had no idea what day it was. <laughs> uh, ancient Greek version of Siri. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, I think those are all of my my nonsense questions and remarks. Okay, <laughs> love it. All right, so then uh, moving on to Alive. So in this episode, Lex is still futzing around trying to revive Braniac. It fails again. And then Tala's like, hey, why don't we try magic? And Lex is like, no, magic is dumb. Oh, wait, yeah, let's do magic. Let's try that. Um, but at that point, uh, he, so then he decides to launch the Legion of Doom headquarters into space to try and absorb the remaining pieces of Brainiac adrift out uh, in space after the events of Twilight. Um, and at that point, Tala's like, I'm sick of this shit. Hey, Grodd, I'm so sorry. I was so bad. Can you come back, please, and lead us? And then a full-on coup ensues, a full-on civil war amongst Legion of Doom inside the spaceship. Um, and unsurprisingly, Lex is victorious. But, of course, his plan to bring back Brainiac goes horribly 
wrong in yes. the most epic way possible. Um, what did you think of this episode? This episode was nonsense. Absolute nonsense. In, in the most fun way. A hundred percent. It's it's batshit. It makes no sense. It was like like we were talking about with uh, with grudge match of like an excuse for the heroes to fight each other. This is basically an excuse for all the villains to fight each other. But God damn it. Was I entertained through the entire thing? Oh, it was so I I wish I knew more villains so I could understand what was going on. Oh, my God. Because there, there's the, the, so many. The, the deep levels they went into just to find villains to throw at each other was so entertaining. It's there are so many okay so here we go let me see if i can run through everyone everyone that appears so obviously the 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 voiced characters are lex grod tala um weather wizard toy man giganta killer frost uh, atomic skull goldface sinestro Angleman, who I have no idea who this is, never heard of, Bizarro, Blockbuster, Bloodsport, Cheetah, Copperhead, Crowbar, Dr. Mm-hmm. Cyber, Dr. Destiny, Electrocutioner, mm-hmm. Evil Star, Fastball, Goldface, Heatwave, Helgramite, yep. The Key, KG Beast, Lady Lunar, Major Disaster, Merlin, Monocle, Neutron, Parasite, Rampage, Shade, Silver Banshee, Star Sapphire, Volcana, and then there's more still uh, um, at the very end of the episode. But, like, it's the full Legion of Doom. It is insane. And real quick, who the hell is Angleman? Okay. Okay. So that's the guy who is in, like, the the black suit. It almost looks like Frozone suits, but it's all black. And it's got gold trim on it. And he's got a goatee. Um, um, I don't know what his powers are. But at what point he's fighting during this whole thing. It's okay. Yep. Yeah. I see. I see the outfit. It's, it's nuts. I mean, it's, it's fun. Like we knew this was coming. Like we knew this had to come to a head at some point. They've left Grodd alive this entire time. And Lex, of course, is still obsessed with being a God. Now there were a few things that I thought was interesting. So one is, uh, when Tala tells him like, Hey, you were trying to achieve transmutation. He's like, Wait, yes, you're right. Let's do that. One, fucking Lex. So arrogant. <laughs> but that's when he he basically decides to like task the whole league, or the whole Legion, excuse me, with fortifying the Legion headquarters. And he has not yet told them why. He's just having to go around like, I want radiation shielding here. I want all these welded shut. And then... He eventually reveals his plan, but it's like, wouldn't it have been helpful to let everyone know that this thing was going to go into space rather than just assigning random tasks? Because you would think maybe that would improve the quality of their work if they knew the thing had to be sealed against the vacuum of space. Right. <laughs> so one, maybe kind of a bad plan. Two, I thought it was very interesting. When he's basically telling the whole group what's going to happen, he still refers to them as a secret society. Which, because I know, as far as I know, they're never referred to specifically as the Legion of Doom in the show itself. But everything I've seen around this season does refer to them as that. So I guess it's kind of interesting that they're technically still the secret society. Yeah, my my question. Sorry, going back one one point. Yeah, when he's fortifying this, if you're going to tell anyone at least, tell Sinestra what you're doing. 
This yeah. is his. This is what he does. He was a for. I mean, I don't know if, if in this iteration he was a former Green Lantern. I don't I think so. I can't remember either. But he's a space dude at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, this is his thing. Yeah. Like, tell one person the guy who who does space. Yeah. Tell just tell at least one person because otherwise the whole group is wondering like what the hell is going on, and of course you know it, there's someone's always trying to throw a mutiny against Lex. And so this time it's it's poor Goldface who stands up to Lex and then Lex just goes like fuck you Goldface and pushes a button on his belt and his his face melts but then he's fine because he's yeah. fighting later on and his face looks just fine. Um, but yeah, he turns their headquarters into a spaceship with a hyperdrive. Just nuts, right? Absol- and then absolutely nuts. Steering the ship is Toy Man, which is delightful. He's great. He's terrifying. He is so creepy. And okay. Loki is Toy Man, one of the most brilliant engineers in this entire universe. I guess so. And what made me think of that is when the full-on coup is happening, and Icicle, or I know this is Killer Frost, is yeah, trying Frost. to kill him. He's using a yo-yo, and he like he swings, like flies the yo-yo out from his hand, and it just shatters this massive chunk of ice that Killer Frost is riding on with like this loud cracking boom, like. Mm-hmm. He's made a yo-yo that has the destructive power equivalent to, like, I'm not going to say a Superman, but certainly a a strength-empowered villain or character. Well, I think I, if I had to assume what he's doing is he kind of turned the yo-yo almost into a bullwhip. And so, like, whenever it makes con- – it's basically, it's basically making, like, sonic booms. Yeah. Whenever okay, it makes that would contact make sense. with things. Yeah. yeah. But how fucking brilliant is that? It's still it's the end so of, like, cool. a little yo-yo string. Like, it still works as a yo-yo. This is why – I think he is underappreciated <laughs> for his genius. You think about all of his his death traps, all of his weapons. They also are perfectly disguised as and function as toys. Mm-hmm. Like they are all perfectly dual purpose devices. This is what Willy Wonka wishes he was. Honestly, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent, and it. I mean, beyond the fact that, like, his design is so fantastic in this universe and the voice, you know, Corey Burton during the voice in this is so perfectly creepy. But just the – and I'm referring mostly to, like, his better uses. So, you know, I'm saying, like, Superman, for the most part, Justice League, maybe a little bit less so his appearance in Static Shock. Like, he is a brilliant fucking engineer and he is 100% super creepy. But I kept wondering during the, the big coup, like, the big fight, this fantastic, like – several-minute-long battle where half the Legion is fighting off against the other half. I kept thinking, because Lex is on the run through almost all of it, and I kept thinking, where are his contingencies, right? Like, that's his whole thing, is that he threatened the Legion earlier on um, when... Um, the Great Brain Robbery. The Great Brain Robbery, when the, when the Magnet Dude, when he basically Polaris. also... Which one? Dr. Polaris. Thank you, Dr. Polaris. When he tries to, to throw a mutiny... Lex takes him out and tells him, like, oh, yeah, remember all those upgrades I gave you? I put fail-safes into all of them. And for almost the entire episode, he doesn't do it. And I'm, I'm guessing the point was to then save, like, the best for last, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it seemed like he was playing into Grodd, or he, like, Grodd was playing into his hands the whole time. Yeah, because he, he he uses none of his contingencies other than the one to like temporarily melt Goldface's Goldface, and then he bought some sort of amulet that protects him against Tala, which is mm-hmm. fun to see. And the big one is it finally gets down to Lex versus Grodd, 
and they're fighting and then Grodd finally tries to use his mind control and it backfires. And Lex even says like, oh, I thought maybe I'd figured that wrong. So it, it, I will admit, if the whole thing was to just build towards that one payoff, it is worth it because that is an incredible moment when Lex is like, oh, I thought I knew who you were. I was waiting for you to use your psychic abilities because that's who you actually are at your heart. Um, it's, and then gets rid of him in the evilest. Like this is Lex as an evil villain. Oh, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, because he now has backfired. He's turned Grodd's mind control against him. So now he's forcing Grodd to walk into an airlock. And then right before he pushed the button, um, Lex says, you know, it, it could have gone other way, couldn't it? And Grodd's like, yeah, I could have. He's like, nope, that's not true, but why speak ill of the dead? And then opens the airlock <laughs> and lets him float into space. Like, oh, like... His evil, his evil timing is so incredible. In this. He's so evil. Uh, going back six conversations, of would course. you like to know about Angleman really quick? Please tell me about Angleman, yes. <laughs> Angleman is Wonder Woman's Riddler. Okay. Oh. So I, I didn't realize how many of them there were. So there was a, there was a series... <laughs> that had all the villains team up. So it was Riddler, Clue Master, Signalman, Calculator, Puzzler, Angleman, and the Duke of Deception. <laughs> that oh, Duke of Deception. <laughs> what a name. Is, that is fantastic. Yes. All team up to try and just fight Batman. And they <laughs> lost. <laughs> well, of, course of course they, they lost. Yeah. Of course they lost. I love how there was a more low rent version of the Riddler. Yeah, so Duke of Deception is also Wonder Woman, and he is he is a like lower Greek god. Okay, or he he's a Greek demigod. My so god. that makes it even worse. I'm I'm looking up some of these other some of these other villains because like I, I didn't recognize them. So we do we do get Bloodsport in there. Um, he's the guy who's got like a camo pants on and a red bandana around his face. So Bloodsport, of course, being Idris Elba's character in the Suicide Squad. So that's where mm-hmm. people might know him from. Who else we got here? Um, oh. A, crowbar who's basically almost completely naked except for like a gold plated bikini and bracelets that has like electric powered crowbar that's that's real fun he's thrown in there um okay dr cyber that's the one who um almost looks like a dr doom a little bit has like a a green hood and cape but has an all gold mask and like a gold Mm. gun Mm -hmm. um cool look i don't really um it's an enemy of wonder woman so and again i think we're seeing here the one of the outcomes of the 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 bat embargo at the time and also that really recently discovered for us at least aquaman embargo is that they're pulling deep cuts we're getting more like wonder woman villains and like random superman villains and at least with superman we've seen them because he has his own show blood's other ones are like who are these people where do they come from uh, who else we got here? Okay, electrocutioner kind of looks like Bloodsport, um, like a bandana, but has electric fists. No big. Uh, yeah, I assume he was the one there. that was like punching everyone and shocking them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Evil Star is, of course, the dude with a star on his face. Yep, makes sense. Not hard to figure out one that one there. Uh, okay, Fastball is the character that I thought may have been Sportsmaster. I also thought that was Sportsmaster. Yeah, he but had the um, oh, what's what's that sport? Albajai. What? It's it's a very cool sport. I'm sure you must have seen it in. Some, I'm sure it's in James Bond somewhere. It's where you have the giant like hook on your hand, and you you catch a ball in there, and then you, like wind up and you kind of throw it, and it like wasn't it, it like in can, 
like an ancient Mayan sport or something like that? Uh, it's it looks like it would be. I think it's more Middle Eastern. Okay. Um, I'm sh- it must appear in James. It's it seems rich for a James like a not, 1960s not, James Bond. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. I mean, Bond is always trying to do what was most popular five minutes ago. That is and true. I don't know at any point in the last six years that was it Opajai. I'm. I don't think that's how you pronounce. Okay, it. I don't think that it. sport has ever been particularly popular. Um, there's actually su- surprisingly few sports. Well, hang on. Now that I say that, there's uh, there's bullfighting, there's horse racing, there's skiing in multiple iterations. Obviously, like you know, Olympic ski jumping and stuff like that. There's hockey in in Bond. <laughs> okay. At one point, um, yeah, Bond goes to an ice rink and gets beaten up by a hockey team in uh, Fear Eyes Only. Real Incredible. There. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones. Uh, oh, when in The Man with the Golden Gun, they go to a um, like a, a boxing tournament, I think it is, like a, a fight tournament. So there's there's some. There's some, but I don't remember that one in particular. Okay, so it's pronounced uh, Ja'alai. Ja'alai, okay. J-A-I-A-L-A-I. Okay, interesting. It's very cool to watch. Okay, no, I mean it sounds like you're pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, okay, but yeah, that the, the it's like extreme wall ball. Okay, yeah, because that's what this guy has. He's got like the yeah. one hand is like a metal glove thing, and he throws like these you know explosive, damaging um, like baseballs, more or less, right. like Sportsmaster would. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's another one that I was wondering who it was. I was trying to figure out who's that weird like. I thought it was maybe, like. Killer Moth, or I think there was a, a villain called like Charbitus or something like that. There's this weird like insect-looking thing in the background. I was like, who is that? That's Helgramite, who I had never heard of before. Um, so in the DC Comics, his real name is Roderick Rose, an uh, entomologist who transformed himself into a humanoid insect creature. In post-crisis universe, he became a minor enemy of Superman. Okay. So, I mean, I think ultimately this came down to was this was Matt Wayne and <laughs> Dwayne McDuffie just being like, hey, let's just pull all the like the crazy villains we remember from the past and just throw them in here for the hell of it. Um, who else we got in here? Uh, Lady Lunar, who I barely remember popping up anywhere in this episode. Looks like she may have only been sitting at the table. Um, is she maybe a Dr. Midnight villain? I don't know. I'm not sure what her deal is. Um, all right. Major Disaster, who kind of looks like Our Man, but he's got like purple and white going on he is uh oh a green lantern flash villain looks like uh we have monocle who's the the man running around in like a a cape and a like a snidely whiplash style mustache and a monocle i love it oh what a look (laughs) oh let's see all right uh jonathan cheval was an honest businessman who worked in the optical field a criminal destroyed his business, so Cheval started his revenge on everyone who helped destroy his business. He designed and utilized an arsenal of special monocles that fired various energy rays and beams. He's a recurring opponent of Hawkman. Incredible. That is absolutely beautiful. Uh, and then lastly here, Neutron, who... Um, okay, this is the one that I thought was um, like uh, like Firefly. Okay, yeah, I think he kind of looks like Firefly a little bit. He's got a similar kind of look to him and looks like a similar kind of power set. So, I mean, crazy, crazy number of random villains they threw in here, which was really fun to see. It was fun to just see, like, characters that I don't even know who they are just fighting each other just for the hell of it. Um, but so, you know, Lex once again puts down a mutiny. 
uh, he's got all of them captured and he's like, you know, give me one reason why, you know, we should spare you. And then Killer Frost being the total badass that she is just freezes all of them. He's like, all right, Killer Frost, you're in. The rest of you are out. Mm -hmm. So, and then now here's where things get really, really, really nuts. So like if everything's been kind of like just fun batshit up to this point, here's where it gets really crazy. So Lex has now basically forced Tala to be inside this machine and to use her powers to collect the essence of Braniac left out in space. Um, I, as far as I can tell, I think her fate is left unclear as to what happens to her, whether she is uh, killed by the machine or not. Yeah, yeah. He like used her as an, basically the energy source to, to yes. revive Brainiac. Yeah. So we don't really know, I think, what what happens to her. Let me just double check. And, and really, see. that's fine with me. <laughs> After this episode, I'm kind of done with Tala. Um, okay, here we go. Looks like... Yeah, so at least according to the, the DCAU wiki, she died <laughs> in the process of utilizing this machine. Now... It, it is heavily thought that possibly her last act of revenge is the ultimate pitfall here. So as right before they throw the switch in the machine, we got an appearance that I had totally forgotten here, which was Metron. Metron. Of, yeah. Of the new gods. Now I don't know a lot about Metron. I don't know if you looked him up. I know about his chair. Okay. It's like, I mean, he, he's all knowing, right? He's like an all knowing being. And I think the chair, what gives him the all knowing, yeah, because I think there's there's a storyline where Flash sits in the chair. There's one where Batman like sits in the chair, I yeah. know. I think, cause I think that was the beginning of the um, uh, Three Jokers. I think like he asked who the Joker's oh, identity sounds, is. Yeah, that like, sounds right. The Mobius chair. Yeah. Mobius chair. Um, a scientist who obtained the ability to travel through time, observing the universe from one end of infinity to the other. So yeah, in the comics, he's a new God who is ambivalent towards the war between new Genesis and apocalypse. He's just more concerned with the overall um, path of fate through the universe. Um, among his notable achievements was co-creation of the boom tubes mm -hmm. and created the mother box. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's right. Cause he appears in um, young justice, right? Doesn't he? I think so briefly. Okay. But so he shows up, he stops time and shows up and he's like, Lex, don't do this. Like you, your next choice, your choices here threaten the existence of the entire universe. Don't do this. And Lex is like, well, that's the point dummy. I'm going to do it anyways. It's like, okay, but you, we will all come to regret this decision, this real ominous beat. Um, and then time restarts and kind of before Lex can get his bearings, toy man in his just utter, just, absolute creepiness gives off like a, you know, a, 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 a charm. Let me see if I have the actual quote here. Um, a little charming little, little jingle of twinkle, twinkle, brainiac. Tala's going to bring you back. And he throws the switch, which we now know kills Tala. Um, but it doesn't bring back brainiac. No, it brings back dark side. It's so cool. Which, okay. So at this point I have to ask you, did you see this episode when it aired back in the day? Yes. Okay. Because I remember watching this and, and as a kid being like, holy shit, it's Darkseid. I think when I was a kid, I don't think I knew who Darkseid was. And okay. So when he popped up, I'm like, who is that? Okay. Yeah. Because at that point, I had been watching 
I'd been watching the whole universe all the way through. I'd seen Twilight where he seemingly dies. Um, so what I was alluding to earlier is it's, it's heavily thought, and I guess no really, not really confirmed anywhere, but heavily speculated that Tala's lacked, last act of revenge is that she chooses to bring back Darkseid rather than Brainiac. Got it. In that moment. Whether it's canon or not, it's entirely unclear. But then all of a sudden, Darkseid's back. Um, now, here's the thing that always threw me, too. is he When he reappears, he's got an entirely different look to him. Did you also assume that he had been partially fused with Brainiac, and that's why he looks that way? Yeah, I read I read someone online talking about that that they had fused. Apparently, that's not it. So oh. apparently, this these last two episodes, Alive and Destroyer, are named after two of the most famous Kiss albums from the band Kiss. Oh my God. And so Darkseid's new look apparently is just Kiss-inspired, and he's not fused with Brainiac. Incredible. I <laughs> love that even more. Which is an even more insane rationale, and I love that that's what they chose to do. Um, but he even says, like, you know, your world will suffer, but I will grant you a quick death. And then he just destroys the ship, and we don't see what happens to anyone there. Um, and so, of course, he continues his journey to find the anti-life equation. So he shows up on apocalypse which is you know we've been seeing through a number of episodes that apocalypse has an ongoing civil war and it's clearly hit to a a peak here where granny goodness and um her furies are going up against um uh, german boy baron wunderbar there you go um and like things are about to go down when dark side shows up and it's like my children like stop this endless fighting like you know i'm back we must destroy Superman on Earth. And when um, it's pointed out to him that that would disrupt his peace with New Genesis, like that's where we're going next. Mm-hmm. So he his like rampage tour of revenge is gonna st- like started with destroying seemingly almost the entire Legion of Doom, reunites Apocalypse. He's gonna go off and fuck up New Genesis, and then he's gonna show up on Earth. Um, and so the very final moment of this episode is at Metron Tower, and one of the Justice League um, staffers runs in, like, Superman, you got to come outside. And so Superman and a bunch of the big leaguers come out, and there's Lex with a few remaining members of Legion of Doom, and he's like, we have a little problem. <laughs> the, the understatement of the fucking century. Yeah. It, 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 there's so many questions at the end of that. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to get to the next episode. How do they survive? Of course, Lex had some plan yeah. set up. He always has something. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about like what a button to put on the end of an episode. Like it just that, that last, what, five, six minutes, you know, the, the, this, well, the, we'll call it the death quote unquote of Grodd. You know, it's, it's very much a comic book style death. He could probably come back if they ever wanted to, but like the death of Grodd, the appearance of Metron, the activation of the machine, the, this the sense of doom, the appearance of dark side, the aftermath of all of it, the league showing up for uh, the legion showing up to get the league's help, brilliant. It's so good. Like and the, the rest of that episode is fun just to see everyone fighting. But those last few minutes, just like the surprises and the intensity of the storytelling, makes this such a fun episode. And then certainly what it's teeing up, I am incredibly excited to get to. 
Yeah, I I'm a little upset. We we paused between. Like I didn't want to wait. A I week know. I I'm, to get I to know. The like we we we, we kind of screwed ourselves by by yeah by um, stretching the way we did because I forgot that the last two episodes are basically of a piece mm-hmm. here. So yeah, we have to wait wait to come back and finish it off here. But I, I I had one other big note on this episode, which is, to my knowledge, I think this episode has the highest death count of any episode or movie in the entire dcau unless like at some point there was an actual planet destroyed that we like it's alluded to somehow i mean i guess other than like the death of krypton which is probably the big one mm-hmm. but like in terms of known characters so many fucking people die in this episode because it's it's almost all the legion is killed now it's all off screen but so basically what happens is like there are like over the course of the episode, there's a bunch of people on the on the ship, and then mm-hmm. the mutiny happens, and then They're cut eventually, in half. yeah, it gets cut in half, and it gets whittled down to like a few remaining survivors who are then frozen by Killer Frost, and then Lex says, you know, get rid of them. We don't see what happens, but presumably, uh, they were still on the ship when it explodes. Yeah. So, luckily, I didn't have to do this homework, thank God. Someone already took care of it on the, the DCAU wiki. But, like, Angleman killed in the mutiny, in the mutiny um, as Angle was Man. Merlin, Monocle, Neutron, and Silver Banshee. Um, beyond that, uh, so the, those who survived the mutiny were, like, Blockbuster, Bloodsport, um, Copperhead, Crowbar... Dr. Destiny, I mean, like, almost everyone else is, like, whoever's frozen is left in the ship and then presumably is killed in the explosion. And then I think there's a few that don't even make it through to the very end. Because the only ones that survive the very end shot are Atomic Skull, Bizarro, Cheetah, Evil Star, Giganta, Heatwave, Killer Frost, Lex, Sinestro, Star Sapphire, Toyman, and Volcana. Yeah, pretty much the ones we've seen before, yeah. plus Evil Star. Exactly. So, like, kind of the more of the big name villains, you know, some of the big Superman villains, some of the big Wonder Woman villains, Flash villains, they're the only ones really left. And, and this was kind of an interesting thing, too, um, that six of the surviving Legion members were also part of the Super Friends back in the day. Like, we've seen that this show, mm. this season, heavily referencing the Super Friends, the design of their headquarters, whole Legion of Doom thing. You know, there were other ones that could not be included. Obviously, Black Manta was turned into Devil Ray and then killed. Um, Brainiac is gone slash merged with Darkseid. Captain Cold is incarcerated. Gorilla Grodd is presumably dead. Riddler and Scarecrow could not be used because of the Bat Embargo. And then Salmon Grundy, also dead multiple times over. But most of the villains at this point, just like a handful of the Legion, are left alive at the very end of it. Because I, th- I think it's fair to assume that between the mutiny, the freezing, and the explosion, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, the Watchtower is going to have a lot less work to do. A lot. A lot. Their job's basically done at this point. Yeah. I mean, they still have, like, all the natural disasters and, you know, like, global warming to deal with. Of but course. they don't have to think about that for, like, 15 more years. Yeah, exactly. We don't, we'll start worrying about that in 2050. We'll be fine until then. Yeah. Yeah. But it this episode, crazy, crazy fun. And, yeah, I'm like... It does kind of pain me. We now have to wait before we can go to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) That call on our part. Were were there any other villains you would have liked to see appear here at some point or even had like a a moment? Oh, man. Um, We got everybody. Yeah. 
I mean, anyone from Static. Yeah, but they're <laughs> but all they're gone. Gonna, yeah. Remember, they all got cured. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Except for the the last two. They just kind of disappeared when yeah. um, Ebon and Hot Streak fused. Yeah. Um, no, anyone else I'd want to see is, is dealing with the Bat Embargo. Yeah, it's Bat Embargoed at this point. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like Clayface would have been fun. Yeah, Clayface would have been really fun to have in here as well. Yeah, it... It or really two is face have like one side of him like survive on and side and no have one <laughs> oh, side on Grod's side and the other side on on <laughs> Lex's side and they're just like holding a gun to each other. He's fighting himself. That would have been fucking brilliant. Yeah, it, it is it is really disappointing that so many of the Batman villains, which just generally speaking are the best, you know, were were put aside here. Now the the one nice thing is it allowed an opportunity to bring in other villains you don't normally get to see, which is really mm-hmm. fantastic. Um but yeah, th- there were quite a few that would have been nice to see return in some capacity, but Alas, yeah, I, I generally can't think of another villain that's not here. That's true. Oh, th- there was a moment where Parasite was like about to absorb Giganta. Yeah, I saw that. Could he have then grown? I guess he so. would have. I think he would have been able to. Yeah, because when he yeah. absorbed Superman powers, he could fly and everything. Yeah, that so. would have been interesting. I know that would have been cool. I guess. Yeah, I mean, what what Parasite must have died in all of this, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, he was yeah. frozen. He was frozen and presumably exploded. Mm-hmm. So, hey, but at least Silver Banshee got to come back after we assumed that she was left for dead in the uh, the world at the center of the Earth. <laughs> so, good for her. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this, uh, was, this was fantastic. Oh, the line that I when we see him throw Grodd in, in the, the airlock, that's pretty evil. But the line mm-hmm. for me that was like showed that Lex is the most evil is at the top. Um, when he's talking about bringing back Brainiac, uh, he's like, I'm about to become a demigod. I'm about to be more powerful, more powerful than all of you combined. Then he pauses, mm-hmm. even though I'm already more powerful than all of you combined. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you cocky dick. But he is. Like, he is. He kind of is. Like, Lex, as he's written in this universe, is almost the way that, like, Batman is written in the comics, where... Lex just has like, like it almost like a Deus Ex Machina get out of jail free card at everything. Like you could just say like, "Oh, Lex is genius, and he just built this thing, and he always knew that he needed this thing, so he built it and he planned ahead and assumed you have to use it at some point." Like he just gets to be like the master inventor, master strategist, and you can just write him to do anything and justify it because he's Lex. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it works. Yeah, every time. It works every time. (laughs) Yeah. How do they get back to Earth? I don't know. Lex did it. How did it survive? Huh? Who knows? Yeah. 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 Cause I don't think they don't have any magic people at this point. Yeah. They killed Tala. I yeah, mean, they killed Sinestro. Tala. Sinestro. Could, Sinestro could, like, and Star Sapphire. Yeah. yeah. Could have, could have made them, made them make, make through, but yeah, it's otherwise it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Uh, I think that's that I, if they did that today, if they did this episode today, mm-hmm. um, is there any other villain you would like to see besides Darkseid pop in? Or is, is Darkseid always kind of like the big bad at the end? I mean, I think it, it ultimately does come down to Darkseid. I mean, there's an argument to me that maybe Brainiac is more powerful and generally speaking, a greater threat to the universe. Mm-hmm. But Brainiac is dispassionate. He's a robot. Now he, he acts human-esque sometimes, but ultimately like, 
he isn't driven by ego and revenge in the way that Darkseid is. And like Darkseid as a, a strategist knows when to like pull back sometimes. Like that's why he ultimately ended his initial campaign to take over earth in Superman. Um, you know, because he knew that the, the wrath of the new gods and of high father was not worth the cost. And at this point now he's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I will, I will take the war. I will take the universe with me if it means I get to have revenge on the people that killed me. So I, I think this was the best character they possibly could have pulled because I don't think there's anyone that poses a greater threat to this universe than him, especially after he's been killed before and pissed off. Yeah. There is, um, there's one, not recent, but more recent character named Atrocitus. Do you know much about him? Oh, he's a Red Lantern, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. the head of the Red Lanterns. And he's kind of just like a more angry dark side. Oh, okay. Uh, I think he would be cool to see in this universe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just need to shoehorn in a Green Lantern thing. I, I, yeah, I know. It, it had to find a way, and I appreciate yeah. it. So, Poor Larflees. Poor Larflees. Uh, he'll, he'll get his time. <laughs> Someday. Uh, should we move on to some bat plugs then? Let's do some plugs. All right, Cameron, what do you got to plug this week? I I feel like I haven't seen a lot of great stuff recently. Okay. Except. Okay, I thought for- you were about <laughs> to start a long list of non-plugs. No, 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 no. I, I thought about it. I'm like, no, I, I got to plug something that's good for me. And I, I thought it'd get more negative reception. Uh, but uh, apparently pretty much everyone's enjoying it so far, which makes me happy. Uh, I think I know you're going to say, is it how I met your father? (laughs) It's how I met your father. Yeah. It's on my list too, actually of things to plug. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You're watching it. I am watching it. Um, I'll let you go first. Okay. The, the pilot is not super strong. The pilot's awful. I hated the pilot and I almost stopped watching it right then and there. It's, I'm very happy they dropped more than one episode because if they just dropped that, I think it would have been canceled on the spot. Yeah. It's, uh, they're they're trying to find their voice. They're trying to find their, like the characters. It was incredibly uncomfortable in the first two episodes. Them trying to write like modern slang into the show. Yes, because I think when they started, they were trying to get like the new, like they're trying to get Gen Z to watch the show. But then by episode three, I think they realized like this isn't a show for them. Like we no. ha- we got Lizzie McGuire. We have Hillary Duff. Yeah. The show is four thirty somethings. Absolutely. Like all the characters are in like are all the characters are millennials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're all late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, all the references are towards millennials. Yeah, you have Hillary Duff. Like what who did you think was me watching this? Exactly. And Honestly. then in the most recent episode, they brought in Josh Peck, which just like made I, me I love that. Yeah, I was, sing even louder. I was very happy about the the Josh Peck inclusion as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it look, it's yeah, the pilot's terrible. So if you haven't watched it yet, I would say watch the pilot, get through it. I think it suffers from being a archaic form of sitcom that just doesn't work anymore. Like realistically, like multi-cam sitcoms with laugh tracks just don't work mm-hmm. anymore. Like it, it it doesn't play. I mean, like the the last, you know, few big ones like the last big ones were basically the big bang theory and then you know cbs for a while had how i met your mother they had god forbid two and a half men like they had it for a little bit they just don't work Mm -hmm. 
it doesn't work anymore, really. It just feels so outdated. And like, I find the laugh track distracting sometimes. Like, oh, that, it's like the, the writing's not that funny at times. Like, oh, you're trying a little bit too hard. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I mostly like the characters. I mean, there's a lot of characters. And yeah. in the pilot, that made me nervous because I'm like, I don't want, I don't care for half of them. Yes. But by episode three, I'm like, they're, they all have their charm. And, and I will say without going into, without revealing specific things, that there is a, a fun callback to the original series there mm-hmm. in the pilot. Um, and then they clearly right up front address the criticism around How I Met Your Mother in terms of how the structure of How I Met Your Father is put together. Yeah, They, they have written it in such a way that like keeping it very open-ended as to where, where they can go with it. Um, we'll see. We'll see if it gets continues to get better. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite character you follow? No. Yet. What? No. Okay. What? Forgive <laughs> me. It's been three episodes. They're all almost entirely forgettable. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I like when she's taking his photos for, uh, for Tinder, the fact they're still on Tinder. I don't like, but you know, that's a whole other, whole other thing. I, I mean, I do. I guess I do like. I don't know his name, but Chris Lowry's character. Um, actually, what else has Chris Lowry done? Because I know he's. I know I recognize him from Glow. something. Oh, that's right. He was in Glow. Yeah, that's he's the right. rich guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's. Oh yeah. Because I was like, I, I, I remember liking you. Yeah. It's why. like I know that hair. It's so yeah. well coiffed because it's from the eighties. It is. No, that's very true. Yeah. I, I'm. I generally I find the ensemble like pretty solid. Mm-hmm. So. You know, and so far there's been been some decently funny stuff. It's not brilliant, but it's it's fine. I I do like that because it is on streaming. They are trying to push it a little bit further than what they could have done on broadcast. I would agree with that. It's a little bit edgier. Yeah. Are you thinking of the the sex toy in particular? Yes. Yeah, that, that was pretty was, good. That was very funny. That actually was pretty funny. I thought that was rather clever. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they're like bringing up topics that like you know, like you said, it's a millennial show. They're bringing up topics that millennials have. Yeah, like that. That's a big topic of like, how do you deal with long distance relationships? You know, they're trying to do the the food boxes together, and it you know it's not working. Yeah. The, um, there's some there's some good ideas in there. We'll just see if maybe they can kind of hone it in down the line. But. Yeah, I mean, if this gets two seasons, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> Cameron always coming in with the lowest bar possible. <laughs> so, well, because like what I I think what a lot of people wanted and like a why a lot of people are watching this is because we were supposed to get the Liz McGuire show. The, oh, that's right. That got canceled, didn't it? Yes. It did. Uh, we were supposed to get the Liz McGuire sequel on Disney plus of Lizzie in her thirties dealing with life as a 30 year old. And that's what, yeah. And then instead of moving it to Hulu, like they did with, um, Oh gosh, what was the love Victor? Love Victor. Thank you. Yeah. Um, instead of doing that, they just canceled it outright. And so it feels like How I Met Your Father was like the apology of like, we'll give you this show instead of Lizzie McGuire. Well, because for a long, this this show has been in development for a long time. Since like, like the final season of How yeah. I Met Your, Fa- or How I I Met Your was, Mother. I think Greta Gerwig was attached for a long time. Who like now she's, oh, doing, wow. she's doing much better things than, than this yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, acclaimed actor, director, writer, Greta Gerwig has better things to do than How I Met Your Father now. Um, but I do see what you mean. Like, yeah, this does feel like the consolation prize for everyone who wanted the Lizzie McGuire show. Yeah. And, so. you know, right now, I'm happy. I'm content. Yeah. Uh, I also love that Kim Cattrall decided to do this instead of uh, and 
the Sex and City reboot. Yes. <laughs> the Sex and City revisit, which to be fair, she's like probably getting paid as much, if not more than she would have been doing Sex in the City for a fraction of the effort. She just sits on a couch and talks. Yeah. So for, for four minutes. Yeah. If that. So good on her. Good mm-hmm. on you, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I did watch that. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, I've been watching Superman Lois season two. Oh, I didn't realize it already started. It's back. It's good. It, you know, I have to say, I really, really like that show. It's not amazing by any stretch, but I think it does a really nice job of telling a story around Superman that's more than just him being Superman. It's really much more about like him and his family. And it it toes the line of being very CW without fully going over. Um, mm-hmm. I just find that like the storytelling a little bit sharper, um, a little bit more compelling, a little bit deeper than you get on some of the other CW shows. Um, it's really good. And and it's lovely because every week, uh, Ashley Clark and I message back and forth about the show, <laughs> which has been really fun. And, and nice. she very, she very sweet, sweetly recently submitted a, uh, a, a segment on X-ray vision we are now doing called nerd out where people like oh, nice. write, write in with something they're really passionate about. And so she wrote in one, she submitted one for, uh, Superman and Lois that was on the show. So. That's incredible. Yeah, which is really fun to have her do that. Um, so I watched that, continue to like it. I watched all of Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Okay, I've heard good things about it, but I know nothing about the show. It's nuts. Like, uh, I try to give it like as succinctly as possible. So it is the story of a group of high school soccer players who in 1996 on their way to nationals, uh, their plane crashes in the Canadian wilderness and they're left stranded there. So half the story is about them surviving in the wilderness and the immediate aftermath of the plane crash. And the other half follows some of them now as adults trying to navigate through their life being these like pseudo famous celebrities for having lived through this, this endeavor. Um, and kind of like one of them super fucked up. Uh, one of them is running for Senate. One of them is just like a suburban housewife trying to live her life. And of course, things kind of get crazy and unravel. It's brilliant. Okay. Ten episodes. All of it's out at this point. Um, you know, it's got a, an amazing 90s inspired, like kind of like female grunge soundtrack. That's really, really okay. fantastic. Very into that. Yeah. Um, the like most of the younger cast I wasn't really familiar with, but amongst the older cast, it includes um, Melanie Linsky, who again, people might recognize her as like the crazy neighbor from uh, two and a half men, but she's been in tons of other stuff. Really, really brilliant comedic actress who also is really fantastic with drama. Uh, Juliette Lewis plays kind of like the fucked up one. And then Christina Ricci is like this like low key bubbling psychotic <laughs> And she's amazing. And the the girl, like their younger, um, like proxies, like their younger versions of those same actors are also brilliant. Like the the casting of the show is fantastic in terms of who they got in general, but also just comparing the younger and older versions and how they like play off each other, inspired by each other. Um, it's dark and weird and creepy and funny in a really fucked up way. It's great. It's some of the best TV I've seen in a while. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll check it out. That yeah. sounds it's crazy. It's kind of graphically violent and grotesque at points. Some parts of it are kind of hard to watch, um, but it's well worth it. So I, I highly recommend checking that out. 
And then uh, I've also watched all of Reacher on Amazon, the the new Amazon adaptation of the Jack Reacher novels. Um, okay. This time no longer played by Tom Cruise, but instead played by our boy Alan Richson. <gasps> oh, that's right. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. The, the trailer was like, it was basically like right-wing propaganda. That's right. What? Wasn't it where it's just like, guns and liberty and guns uh, no i don't know am i thinking of a different thing <laughs> maybe you're thinking of a different thing or maybe okay. i don't remember the trailer but that's not that's not what this is i mean yeah it's it's set in georgia and jack reacher as a character is like a former like military investigator who now just is kind of like a wanderer and in the books he just kind of like stumbles onto random crimes and situations almost in a scooby-doo-esque kind of way okay. um but it, it's it's definitely not that what you <laughs> okay. described that, like that makes me more excited it's a dad show it's a total dad show I, I watched some of it with my dad um it's it's not amazing i'll say that and <gasps> kristen kirk's in it yes kristen <gasps> kirk's in it it it, it definitely Lana? feels padded out I, it probably could have been mm. like a tight six rather than a full eight but that being said the further in the show got the more entertained by was i was by it again pilot not fantastic um, but Alan Richson is good. Just be prepared for the more serious reserved version of Alan Richson we get from, say, like Titans or Smallville and not Thad Castle. <laughs> All right, that's fine. <laughs> he's not Thad Castle, but he's still funny. It's just a very different kind. Um, but he embodies the character really well, the kind of immediate supporting cast around him, the other cops that he's working with in the town. The, like, they're dynamic, the three of them I really, really enjoyed. Um, it's, not, it's not amazing, but it's you know a pretty fun eight episode distraction. Okay. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It makes me want to go back and reread that book, which I read years ago, because I think it's quite a bit different than the book in some ways. Um, and it makes me excited for more. I really hope they do get more seasons, because I think, you know, I, I think this is Amazon's replacement for Bosch, more or less, which is just like, you know, uh, their, their fun dad procedural. So Got it. It's, it's a pretty good time. Um, I forgot. I have, I have one more quick plug. Yeah. Because uh, I forgot this took up so much of my week. Uh, I've plugged the podcast Do Go On a few times before. Yes. They put out an amazing episode. And I, I learned so much from this um, about the um, the whistle, no, the cough scandal of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. McCulpey. Have you heard about this? I vaguely recall something about this. Yeah. Uh, in like the mid 2000s, there was a guy in the British version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that won a million dollars, but it was he never got the money and he ended up being sued by the production company because they could hear coughs in the background as he was reading the answers that supposedly told him which answer to pick. Oh, so he would be like, oh, you know, what is the capital of Texas? Is it Dallas? Is it Austin? Is it Houston? Is it San Antonio? And then they would cough on Houston. Yeah, I forgot for a second. I think it's Houston. The, the, the state? <laughs> I don't know why. I've Your home state? <laughs> I feel you had so bad there? right now. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they would cough and he would say, Houston. I think it's Houston. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't do well in who wants to be a millionaire. Clearly not. Um, not even a Texas version of it. <laughs> not even. So that that's actually an interesting thing, because it's not just the scandal they go. They go over like the history of the sh- of the game of the okay. show in itself, which is yeah. super cool. Uh, there like, was like this, like when it went from primetime with Regis Philbin to daytime with Meredith Vieira. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, well, so one, I didn't realize it started off as a British show, like every game show does. Oh, yeah. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, they have like an underlying clause, which I'm sure they got rid of by now. But when every other country was adapting it, they wanted it to be the exact same as the British version. And it came down to like um, the host of the British version always wore an Armani suit. And so Regis Philman also had to wear an Armani suit for every episode. Oh, my God. Which is just hilarious. So specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this like underground ring of trivia pursuers that just like, you know, were great at British pub trivia and they just started making money off of who wants to be a millionaire. So they would train people to go on the show. Uh, but then also they would travel to different countries that now had the show and just play every version of it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and they became so infamous that they changed how the game was played where if you watch the regional version, the first four or five questions, like the easy questions are all very like the American version. They're all easy American questions. Oh, I see. Okay. And so it was to kind of curb that people that knew a lot of general knowledge, they couldn't do well on the early questions. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. cool. Do go on. They they do a great job. They're such a great deep dive podcast. Yeah. In this episode, it's like a three and a half hour long episode. I bet it is. They went deep into this one. I love it. I love it. It's so fast. It's so fast into the point where like you don't, like I don't think the scandal is real. I don't think there was actually a scandal anymore. Okay. I think it's the production company trying to save themselves a million pounds. Oh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's (laughs) very cool. It's It's so interesting. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so all mm-hmm. those uh, will be linked down in the show notes for everyone to go uh, check out. But I think that does it for us this week. We did it. We did it. We'll be back next week with the finale of Justin Unlimited Destroyer, which is also the finale of the DCAU, and our finale Ugh. as a DC review podcast. Mm-hmm. It's quite crazy. Um We'll, we'll throw a little shout out here. Uh, we were trying to figure out kind of how to do like a nice little capstone at the end of uh, our podcast next week. Um, so we would love to hear from everyone uh, who's listening to this. And so the best place would probably be to message me on uh, Twitter on at Tim talk pod. Uh, but what are your favorite series in the whole thing and the whole DCAU uh, or what is you think the best series of all of them? A little conversation yes. camera I have next week as we wrap things up. Um, but until and if then, anyone says Zeta, we will not read it. Maddie, <laughs> don't do it. We know you're going to do it. If you want to reach us, uh, and would love to write in with your answers to that question. The best place is at Tim talk pod on Twitter, but we're also on Instagram, uh, and Facebook and, uh, YouTube Cameron, where can people find you? Yes. Uh, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter on Instagram. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Yeah. And what and about you, you, Chris? You can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and on Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Like I said, we'll be back next week for our finale. Should be a lovely yeah. episode. Looking forward thank to it. Thank you for, for so. following us for so long. I know. Thank you. Uh, but until then, bye bye. Bye. Oh man, we'll have to do that one more time. <laughs> Only one more time. <laughs>